Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One home run to become the home run derby champion at 18. Uh, That's high, but that's not going to do it. There it is! Hello and welcome into another Racing Presidents Podcast All-Star Break Edition. Nationals get back at it Friday night in Philadelphia as they currently are atop the NL wildcard standings. I'm joined, of course, by Todd Dibus, who is in Cleveland for the All-Star festivities. Bit of an unusual local angle to the All-Star this year. Just one year after D.C. hosted the All-Star game and Bryce Harper won the home run derby and Max Scherzer started. We have zero Washington Nationals participating in this year's All-Star Game in Cleveland as both Anthony Rendon and Max Scherzer won't be participating. Todd, before we uh, get to later on your conversation with Pedro Martinez, I just want to kind of quickly look back at last year and with Bryce Harper winning the home run derby, which is obviously aged a little oddly, but I was surprised when I was there that I – so I was looking forward to the All-Star game more than I've looked forward to almost any sporting event. But I, I found the All-Star game in person a bit disappointing and was shocked by how fun the Home Run Derby was in person. What was your take at the two events last year in D.C.? Yeah, I agree. And it, to me what stands out is one made a rule change to try to fix the product, and it didn't work, and that being the All-Star game and the home field advantage nonsense and – all that stuff, and then they reverted, and now it's just, you know, a bunch of guys, and they play, and, you know, there's some interesting matchups, but Interleague has watered this way down, um, and, you know, and I'm with you. And then, so, the Home Run Derby, they made a rule change, and it, it, it changed everything. I mean, the clock changed everything, um, the, the pressure and the walk-offs and uh, all that sort of thing made it so much better. And, you know, what's funny, Tim, is I was talking to Juan Soto uh, let's see, Saturday before the break, and I asked him what he was doing during the break. Um, side note, he should probably be in Cleveland, but he's not. Uh, and he was going up to New Jersey, his family up there, and I asked him if he's going to watch the All-Star game, and he replied, home run derby. And so, you know, he was very interested in seeing Vlad Guerrero Jr. They signed together. Uh, Soto was amazed by the raw power of Vlad Guerrero Jr. And it, you know, it struck me that this 20-year-old guy was instantly more interested in the home run derby. And then I had a similar experience here in Cleveland on Monday afternoon when I was outside the stadium and our cameraman, Greg Abernathy, was setting up. And while I was setting up, I was talking to a fan, and he said that, you know, he was interested to see the home run derby because he had never watched that before. He was always there for the all-star game, you know, and he was like 55 years old, but, you know, he heard it was fun and he's looking forward to checking it out. So I think we've seen a shift and I'm, I'm curious how it works going forward. Yeah. I just, you know, 
I was I just figured it'd be boring because I think on TV it, it's very very boring personally. Uh, just watching guys hit home runs, but in person it's fun. Like you might not have to be locked into the whole thing, but you kind of just pa- having conversation with your friend, and next and you're watching a guy casually hit home run after home run, and next thing you know there's 30 seconds left on the clock, and all of a sudden you get more into it. It's it's definitely much more fun in person than I anticipated. And we also saw this week that uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., um, I mean, a lot of fans obviously have heard of him, but not a lot of National League fans have maybe seen him play. And I think a lot of fans yeah. realize that there's about to be another big-time Vlad Guerrero in their baseball lives for the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, and we his dad was at Nationals Park on Saturday during the Expos uh, situation, and I asked him if he had a prediction for the home run derby, and he laughed and um, he wasn't even there. He said he had to go back to the Dominican for some personal stuff. But, you know, and he was he was really politely effusive about his son. You know, he just kind of that proud dad style, not like a braggadocio, you know, my kid has all his power and I was a Hall of Fame player and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's just fun. Um, and it's weird. I, I would suppose it's also weird for you to see Craig Biggio's son being driven in by Vlad Guerrero Jr. That's a little freaky for me at this stage of my life. Yeah, it's uh yeah, yeah right cuz uh I you know, I started watching baseball in the early 90s and so to now this is like my first time experiencing the stars of my childhood now they're children. Like I'm <laughs> I'm going through it. I I'm 33 so I'm going through that. Uh, for, for the first time, in addition to Harper winning the home run derby last year, I got a Bryce Harper All Star question for you. And I'm not, I'm not going. Whoever was in charge, uh, you know, there was a lot of news this week about how there was some billboards in Cleveland that had Bryce Harper on there, even though he's not at the All Star game. Mm-hmm. A lot of jokes. It's easy fodder. But I'm not even going to make fun of the pe- person or people who are in charge of it. I just want to like logistically ask you how that happens. Like, do you think they made it in April and they just figured he and Ronald Acuna Jr. would be there and they just they just didn't kind of update it? Like, the person in charge isn't a sports fan and he or she just kind of Googled the most expensive baseball player and they saw Bryce Harper. Like, how how does it occur where a guy not at the All-Star game gets billed as one of the stars of the All-Star game? I'm not sure, but I will say this. Next to Max Scherzer hanging off of a light pole, so these things, they're, they're mirrors of each other, right, on light poles, and they've, the two, same two players face one way, and then they're reversed on the other side. And next to Max Scherzer is Chris Sale. So Chris Sale is not here. And, you know, I, so that tells me, I don't know if they just did it off of last year's rosters. I don't know. I, I don't know that I didn't take account and take full laps um, around the stadium. But, you know, a lot of the guys I saw on there were guys who played last year. So I don't know, A, what is the timeline to put those things together? B, are you just putting up last year's guys? Or C, are you just putting up recognizable faces and you don't care if they're there or not? D, are you just botching this whole thing? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the answer to that. Um, as we know, timelines can be tricky, <laughs> and, and communication can be tricky sometimes with large-scale events. So it was weird, but frankly, it occurred to me before I saw the Bryce Harper stuff, I saw Chris Sale, and I was like, that's weird, that's up there. It's almost like the marketing company that they hired also does the NBA All-Star Game. And right now, we, you and I could pencil in the starters for the All-Star Game in the NBA. Like Even though it's in February, we could do that right now in July. So it's almost like 
the person running it thought that Major League Baseball operated like the NBA, where it's the same people every year. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Before I get to this minor league thing, Todd, how is the stadium in Cleveland? It's one of the stadiums I've never crossed off. I drove past it when I was a little kid. It's obviously not a new stadium, but it's it's been around. It's kind of a similar age to Camden Yards. But what's your take on Progressive Field in Cleveland? Yeah, I like it. Um, I, I, I feel like it has a good feel of kind of it's it's not a gigantic baseball stadium um it's not kind of like sprawling it's kind of pulled together more uh, there's a really big video board in left field which does a good job yeah i like it i think it has a real comfortable feel to it and i can imagine and i and i've heard this since i've been here on sunday about how loud it can get down here um for the playoffs and stuff like that and that's that's really easy to foresee when when you're in the actual stadium that you know i don't want to say in a baseball stadium people are right on top of you because you know it's just simply not constructed that way but as far as a baseball stadium could have that sense i i I think it certainly exists here at progressive field yeah i've liked it a lot it's gonna be weird seeing the all-star game this year like the year after dc because it was announced in april of 2015 that dc was going to get it in july of 2018 so we had three other all-star games to get through and it was this thing we were looking forward to for all these years it's almost like you know you're the olympic host city and now you're watching the next opening ceremonies it's weird that that's now behind us because we spent so many years looking forward to dc hosting the all-star game again yeah, and I remember sitting in that announcement press conference and thinking how far away that was. Uh, but now we've lapped it, and uh, we're down here in Cleveland. And I thought last year it went pretty well there. And as you said off the top, the home, the home run derby by far was the most significant thing, especially with Bryce Harper. And even though he's not here, Bryce Harper found a way to be a significant thing again this year. Who knew? <laughs> yes, he, he actually was probably the biggest story before the home run derby. Like the Monday afternoon, he was the biggest story. One other thing with Monday afternoon, and this is our last thing before we get to Pedro Martinez, is the commissioner, Rob Manfred, spoke. And I know that baseball sort of treats the Monday before the All-Star Game sort of like the NFL treats Friday before the Super Bowl with like the state of the league type thing. And one thing I thought was really interesting, Todd, when I was reading a bunch of articles, was there was talk. there's been a lot of talk about paying minor leaguers and this stems from the Save the Pastime Act, which was lobbied through a few years ago. And I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of that, but there was, there's was, there been some talk in, uh, about a story that I think a lot of baseball fans don't realize that we might be a few years away from, and I want you to tell me if I'm way too pessimistic here. And that is that there's a belief... No. <laughs> there's a belief... I haven't gotten there yet. There's a belief that the way now, you know, players... Young players get into the major leagues quicker than they ever used to, and it's more and more expensive to run minor league teams than it used to be, just like everything in this country is more expensive than it used to be. And there's a belief that maybe that the minor league system is outdated in terms of how many teams we have. We have four systems. We have single A, double A, triple A, and then the major leagues. And I'm thinking, just reading between the lines here and just kind of thinking through, I think, Todd... We're five to ten years out from there being a monster slash and reduction in the amount of minor league teams in this country. Do you think I'm jumping too far ahead here? Uh, no, not totally. I think the first thing that pops to mind when thinking about that idea is what the union would say about the reduction of jobs. Uh, the second thing that pops in my mind is how much better a product minor league baseball might end up if you are 
cutting down the number of slots down there. Um, I know that would remove teams from some towns, but you you may be in a situation where you know people go more because just the overall talent is more interesting and better, and you're aware of these people. And you know the the Nationals' twentieth prospect isn't someone who you're trying to you know they're trying to entice you to go see. Instead, there's a lot more high end guys playing near you so those are the two things i would immediately think about if that were to happen obviously the financial system there is in a bad bad place um it's it's not working and it needs to be grandly improved and it seems like the commissioner rob manfred is kind of coming around on that idea but i also wouldn't hold my breath um, because you know finances in the minor leagues are always tricky uh you're going to have a lot of ownership folks you know complain about their finances. This is what we always hear from owners, right? That somehow they're getting the shorter than the stick. And um, it will be quite a battle to reduce teams, uh, especially, as you mentioned, Tim, at, at, in a large-scale way. And when you say large-scale, what, what do you think could be removed? Like I could see a system where we eliminate Double A baseball, and almost now there's single A, like there's single A, and then there's Triple A, or there's just two, there's two minor leagues instead of three. I could see that happening. I know it's complicated. There's high A, there's low A. Let's just pretend for a second that there's single A, double A, triple A. I could see one yeah. of those levels just complete, or all the because all the single A teams are in very very small cities. And I could just see a yeah. system where they're like, all right, we're just going to combine single A and double A, and, and we just get rid of a whole tier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be wild. That would be super interesting. That would pose a lot of problems. And I also think, like I said, it would pose a lot of interesting outcomes um, that may be beneficial long term, even at the cost of jobs. Yeah, it just you know I, I view it through like if you and not to ruin a summer day for for our fans that live in small cities, we appreciate <laughs> listening. But if I lived in a town that had in a non AAA market, and my city doesn't have a recently renovated stadium, like I would, and and it's not a city known for great attendance at the minor league park, like I would start being concerned about the long term future because I, I just. I don't see any other way around it based upon all of these steps that the owners are making. They're making it very clear that they don't like what's going on, as you alluded to. So it's just something to think about. I don't think we're a year away from it. I think, I think I'm thinking five years or ten years down the road. But I think it's a huge storyline in baseball that really hasn't been talked about yet. Yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. We, we hear, we've heard, you know, year after year we hear a lot of conceptual things, and some of those things the league can just change on its own. Other things, it's in for a mighty, mighty tussle, and this would be the mighty, mighty tussle aspect of that. All right, I don't want to go do do too much doom and gloom because we are at a happy time in all-star <laughs> break. Last thing before we get to your talk with Pedro Martinez is the 20-year anniversary of what is your favorite moment, and that is his performance at the 1999 All-Star Game in the opening innings in Fenway Park. Uh, just I want to know your personal testimonial, why – You've been to a thousand baseball games. You've watched a million more. Why does that moment stand out to you amongst all the other ones in your lifetime? I was living in Boston at the time. Um, I grew up a Red Sox fan when I used to root for baseball teams, uh, which I no longer do. And um, you know, and I always was fascinated by pitching in general. Um, and then I got to look at him. He is not big. 
but he had this kind of temperament about him and the way he pitched. And, um, you know, there was a little element of danger, you know, especially in Montreal because he didn't quite have his command yet. But once he figured that out, you know, it, it was crazy. The stuff he threw was crazy. His changeup was crazy. His curveball was crazy. And, of course, you know, he's throwing 97, 98, 99 with ride on it. And just all this stuff coming out of this little frame and uh, with the swagger. And this is the peak of the, you know, there's A, was the steroid era. And B, it was Red Sox-Yankees. It was really, really cooking at this time. And, um, you know, it was cooking on its own. It wasn't, you know, commercials forcing it to be a thing. And, uh yeah, I don't know. I was just, I, you know, like a lot of people, I feel like, have really found him a magnetic figure. Um, and so that was happening for me at the time. And that All-Star game in particular was tremendous. And, you know, with Ted Williams and everybody on the field, and it just really felt like a an authentic baseball, baseball thing happening there in a legendary stadium. And then he shows up on the mound and he starts mowing down you know, these gigantic home run hitters from the other league, including, you know, some guys at the time I didn't really care for. <laughs> um, so, and, and then, of course, Matt Williams, the only person to reach base against him, which I had to ask Matt Williams about when he worked in Washington, and he said there was just no way he was going to strike out. He was just trying to put it in play no matter what. And he got on being in, in an error. So, yeah, there was just so much juice around it, and, him against those particular guys and the whole environment, I thought it was a, a perfect mix of things. Yeah, so he struck out five guys in two innings, and you talk about the height of the rivalry. That year ended up being the first time they would the Yankees and Red Sox would play in the ALCS, the first of three times within a five-year span. So uh, there was that that was going on. And I have a trivia question for you, Todd. Last thing, Pedro Martinez was traded to the Red Sox in November of 97 from the Expos. Obviously, Boston won that trade. Do you know the two pitchers who the Montreal Expos forefathers to our Washington Nationals received in return? <laughs> um, it's okay if you don't know it. It's a pretty hard question. No, I know. I'm, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it for a second. So it was 1997, right? Yeah, it was right? after. Yeah, so after 97 season, two pitchers. I'll give you one of them ended up pitching for the Nationals when they moved to DC. The other one did not end up eventually pitching in D.C. I know one of them because I can see him in an Expos uniform. That's Carl Bobano. Correct. Very good. I don't good. know the other one. The other one, Tony Armas Jr. Oh, that should have been the easy one. Yeah, so, yeah, the Red Sox uh, won that deal. Not a uh, – uh, 90s were a tough decade for the Expos. I don't know what to tell you. But, <laughs> uh, all right, well, that's going to do it. Todd, enjoy Cleveland. Enjoy your drive back, correct? Driving, not flying? Yes, sir. All right. Enjoy your drive back. Now enjoy Todd's chat with Hall of Famer and MLB Network analyst Pedro Martinez. You look at the 15-game winner with that league-leading ERA of 2.10. Three complete games. Barry Larkin, that's still one of the game's best. Got him with a changeup and a good start for Pedro Martinez in the American League. Just selecting the reserves, the pitchers for this. Goodbye, Larry Walker. See you later. Pedro Martinez, Hall of Famer and MLB Network analyst now, a TV guy now. Welcome to the All-Star Game. Good to see you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, always. This is part of what I lived, and uh, I still enjoy it. 
when you look at Max Scherzer, someone who's not pitching in the All-Star game, but is here once again for the seventh time in a row, and he's about to turn 35 years old, what do you make of what he's been able to do and why he's been able to sustain it so long? Well, first of all, I, I, I'm so proud of Max Scherzer. I, I love watching him. I love watching how he goes about his business. There's so many similarities that we have. When I watch him, I watch myself. Uh, except uh, one thing I have to give to Max Scherzer is the fact that he stays healthier than I did. And when you look at the way he throws the ball and how orthodox he is, I... I I, I thought he was going to get hurt uh, more often, but that says a lot. That speaks volumes about the way he prepares, the way he's, he's always ready, how he mentally is, and uh, how strong mentally he is. He's going, he's 35, but I'm not afraid of that. With Max Scherzer, uh, he's unique in every aspect. And um, I don't have enough words to say uh, about how good I feel about him because. He's a Pedro Martinez, but I think he's going to last a little bit longer. Freddie Freeman said yesterday that if Max throws you a ball, he's just setting you up for something else, and that's the hardest part of facing him. What do you think about that part of the game? Like, we see a lot of people with live stuff, but sequencing and understanding what's going on is such a key for the preeminent pitchers in the game. I cannot totally understand that because that's the way I used to be. I always had one pitch ahead in case I missed with the one I had. And I, I was always setting you up for the next pitch. So I understand what, what Freddie is saying uh, when it comes to Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer has three above average pitchers. And also, he has the sixth one right here. Because he has like 30 of them right here. When you, when you think about how he combines his pitches. Uh, you have to think that Max Scherzer is one guy that's going to be ready in every aspect. And ready to beat you mentally ready to beat you physically. This is uh, one unique player that, that he's talking about, and I can totally understand what he's trying to say about Max Scherzer. And when we think about you and we think about all-star games, it's easy to think about 1999, back in Boston, Ted Williams, everything that went on there. You struck out five or six to start that game. When that game is brought up to you, what's the first thing that jumps into your mind about it? The whole scenario is, is uh, remembering the old century players coming over, mobbing Ted Williams, and the game seemed like it would never start. Uh, it was shaking hand Karen's uh, hand, uh, having Ted Williams call me aside and tell me that I was one hell of a pitcher. When you have the cream of baseball in the field and they recognize you and they want to shake your hands and they want to make you part of what they were, uh, it's a bigger trophy than the actual trophy of the MVP in the All-Star game. It's the respect from the, the, the cream of baseball that you're getting, and I got that opportunity. So everything comes to me, and I uh, uh, the first thing that I always think of is that there will never be another All-Star game as unique as that one in my lifetime. So I'm extremely proud to have been taking part of it and to also have had the opportunity to see them all around the, the, the field and see the cream of baseball, the guys that really led the way for all of us to become baseball players and big leaguers. So I'm extremely proud to have been part of it and at the same time perform so that they could get impressed about what, what I did. Great. Thank you very much, Pedro Martinez, Hall of Famer, MLB Network host.
Three balls, two strikes on Bagwell. Runner goes, swing and a miss, struck him out, throw down. Williams is gone, strike him out, throw him out, double play. And Martinez has faced the minimum through two.